aspects of uh, the Jesus culture, uh, whereas part of our culture, we want to strive to be a ascending church. Uh, a church that makes disciples, equipping the saints for works of service so that they can be sent back out into their families, their neighborhoods, their workplaces, and even to the world to do great things for Jesus. Now, uh, I don't know about you, uh, but I've been sent all my life. Uh, Firstly, it's always been like this. Now, most married men in this room will empathize with me here because they know what it's like being sent to do errands. Uh, And it's the same all over the world. Uh, Last year, uh, Lynn and I uh, were on holiday, uh, and uh, as we were being got a taxi from the airport to go to where we were staying, we were chatting with the driver, and he said, oh, we were talking about this, and he says, I have a honey-do list. And I thought that was lovely. So I've got a honey-do list on my iPhone. Uh, it's coming up now, what's on my iPhone. And uh, so when I get sent to go to the shops, you know, I have it all, I write it all down on here, and then I tick it off when I get each one. And if you, I don't know if you can read it, but that's the detail we go into with the soups, you know. With good dates, don't buy something that's out of date. And it came to me when I was, I was thinking about this, that actually, yeah, it really has been all my life, because um, my mother, I realize now, was preparing me for marriage. And uh, it reminded me of a story of uh, some years ago now. Uh, she sent me to uh, the local Asda uh, to get her. It was coming up to Christmas, and she says, Chris, go up to Asda and get me a pound jar of mincemeat. So off I went. I couldn't, f- yeah, he's got it. Yeah, I couldn't find a jar of minced beef anywhere. <laughs> so I went to the butcher's. And he says, I don't have it in jars, but I can sell you it loose. So I got it and backed up. And I went home proud as punch. There you go, mother. She says, no, I wanted minced meat for mince pies. <laughs> well, we learn, don't we? Now, secondly, uh, the thing I've learned about being sent is if you get given a task, you have to follow it through. Now, uh, When I was at school, I was at an all-boys school, and uh, we had this maths teacher who uh, used to be, when he wasn't a maths teacher, was an all-in wrestler. And some of you might remember on a a Saturday afternoon, ITV used to have World of Sport and wrestling was on. Well, Mr. Adams, my maths teacher, was one of those wrestlers. So when he sent you to do an errand, you did it. And he gave me this note to go to see, to deliver to Mr. Breeze, the headmaster. So off I go. Good boy, I was. And uh, Mr. Breeze, the headmaster, I went to his office and I knocked on the door. And he, he opened the door and he looked. He says, Large, join the queue. So I joined the queue. And uh, I didn't know, but everybody that went in before me seemed to come out with tears in their eyes. Anyway, got to my turn, and they opened the door. He says, come on in, large. He says, touch your toes, look at that picture on the wall, and tell me what you see. Whack! I'd only gone to deliver a message, but I had to carry it through because Mr. Adams had sent me. And then thirdly, 
it's the model for how it should look. Now, most of you know that I spent 30 years in the fire service. And for 30 years, uh, I, was, I was always being sent somewhere. Somebody would dial 999 and we'd be sent. And the model in the fire service was based, uh, as I found out, was all based on your cap badge. Now that picture uh, there is uh, an East Sussex Fire, Fire and Rescue Service cap badge, which was my last cap badge. But my first one is this one. The first one I ever got issued, and it's for the West Yorkshire Fire Service. And I keep it with pride. And, uh, but there is great significance in this cap badge because there are eight points to the star. And it doesn't matter whether you're in West Yorkshire or you're in East Sussex, those points still symbolise something. And they stand for tact, gallantry, dexterity, observation, perseverance, loyalty, explicitness and sympathy. And I think they're all quite admirable qualities to have. So what I want to share with you today is actually the same. It's in three parts. Uh, as it was in the beginning, in Genesis, because it was part of God's original plan. Then secondly, Jesus comes and he commissions us. He was sent and he followed it through. And thirdly, this is how it should look. It tells us all in here. So the first place we're going to look is Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 9. If you haven't got a Bible, don't worry. It's going to come up uh, on the screen. But Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 9, is called the call of Abram. Uh, and Abram eventually became Abraham, didn't he? So now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there he moved to the hill country and the east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on still, going towards the Negeb. You see, right from the beginning in the Bible, there's a honey-do list. 
right? He's telling Abram what to do. He's going where God has shown him to go. He's doing it as he should. And you notice, he's not a young 17-year-old being sent out on a mission field. He's 75 years old, all right? None of us are too old to go anywhere on mission, all right? And where does he send us? He tells them to leave his country, leave his community, his church, and lead his family. And he went, and he took some people with him, and he went, didn't he, to a land. And when he got there, he built an altar to the Lord. Now, where do you find an altar? In a church. He was probably one of the first church planters, isn't it? Amazing. Right from the word go, God is telling us, go out there and plant churches. And then, of course, we know because the earth is fallen and, and Adam and Eve and everything else that, like that that went on and Noah's flood, in the end, God just had to send his son to rescue us. And we all know what happened when Jesus came and was alive. And he died on that cross for you and I. And then he came back. Because the disciples still needed to know more of what God's plan was. And right at the very end of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 to 20, it says this. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, God is ascending God. He sent his son to die for us on the cross to atone for our sins. Jesus was given a task and he followed it through. And his final message to his disciples was, go, he sent them, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, as most of you know, we are uh, at Christ Church here, we're a member of a, a, a hope called Catalyst. Uh, and earlier this year in June, uh, they had a leadership conference in Milton Keynes. Uh, and I was uh, honoured enough to be able to go there. Uh, and it was a really special meeting because the leadership of Catalyst was being passed from Dave Devonish to Simon Holly. And Simon uh, preached uh, when he took over uh, the leadership. And he gave us a vision, his vision for Catalyst, which was to make disciples who make disciples and I thought this is a stroke of genius but what was even more of a stroke of genius uh, to me was when it then started to come into a, a reality in my mind what it meant and uh, 
to close uh, the leadership conference, Simon had invited this big American pastor to come and talk to us. Now, when I say big American pastor, I don't mean he was really famous. I mean, he was big. <laughs> he clearly liked his double cheeseburgers and bacon. Uh, but, boy, could he preach. And he had a number of really, really key messages to, to, to pass on. But there was one in particular that's relevant to today that really stuck in my mind, and I made a note of it immediately. And he said this, Pastors, stop focusing on preaching and model being missionaries and disciples. They should actually become CMOs, Chief Missionary Officers. Now, no, don't get all excited or, or upset. You know, it doesn't mean that the pastors are all going to stop preaching or anything like that. You're still going to have to come and listen to sermons on a Sunday morning. No, but what he's saying is the focus of that preaching needs to change. And in fact, Sai actually mentioned that a couple of weeks ago uh, in his sermon. If you go back and listen online, are people who build. It's really important that pastors model to us what being missionaries mean. And, well, you know, we've got a guy that's going out to Africa tonight. You know, I think we've got a fairly good example uh, as our leader. Now, one of the most amazing books uh, I've read uh, recently is this one. It's called The Good God, and it's by a gentleman called Michael Reeves. Now, Michael Reeves uh, spoke at uh, the Reformation conference that Andy Johnson organized at KCC a few months ago. And uh, there was a bookstall there, uh, and uh, the, the guy who runs a book company called Ten of Those gets up and he sells books, and he's, he's really funny. But when he recommends a book, he's normally pretty, pretty right. It's normally good. This is well worth whatever, seven ninety nine or whatever it was. Oh, seven pound. Uh, it was a real good buy. And he talks uh, in here uh, particularly about what it means, uh, what the cross of Christ means. And he quotes from uh, 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, for you and for me. It displays the intensity of God's love for us. You see, Jesus knew that he had to go to the cross. He'd been sent by his father to do this. And why? Well, in the Gospel of John 3.16, isn't it amazing? 3.16 appears in either the Gospel of John or 1 John, and it's the same message. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And in fact, the final moments before Jesus was erected, uh, arrested, rather, he prayed passionately for us. It says in John 17, verses 25 and 26, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And those, these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, 
and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. We know that God sent Jesus. The Father sent the Son because the Father so loved the Son. And he wanted to share that love and fellowship. His love for the world, therefore, is an overflow of his almighty love for his Son. Uh, As Mike Reeve puts it, the Father so loves that he desires to catch us up into that loving fellowship he enjoys with the Son. And that means that I can know God as he truly is, as Father. In fact, I can know the Father as my Father. Isn't that awesome? Absolutely awesome. Is God your Father? Do you understand fully what he has done for you? Do you understand why he is ascending God? Next week, we're going to be baptizing people, as Sam has said. It's still not too late if you're thinking about wanting to make that commitment. If you want to declare to the world that he is your father, go to the meeting at 12 o'clock. So, if we're being called to be ascending church and to go out from here and make disciples who make disciples, we need to look at the third and final part of what I want to share with you today. And for that, I'm going to use uh, Ephesians 4, the first 16 verses. How a church should look to achieve this aim. The Apostle Paul is writing here in this book to the church in Ephesus. And like some of his letters, where he's rebuking the church, here he's praising them because they are actually a model of a church, how it should be and how God wants it to be. So this passage to me, it's a bit like my fire service cap badge. It's got all the points that you need to know that make you a good firefighter or make you a good Christian. All right. So to me, chapter 4, verses 1 to 16, that's, this is my fire service cap badge. So let's start. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Right from the very beginning of this chapter, verse 1. He's urging us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. He's telling us, in modern speak, walk the talk. And then Paul tells us, in verse 2, to be humble. Now, someone who's humble keeps in the background, doesn't try to come over as being important. Tells us to be gentle, 
people who are soft. Last week, Anna, uh, when she was talking about being a family, didn't she? She came up with this phenomenal list. I don't know about you, I couldn't write it down fast enough. I've got to go back and get all nine points. But I loved it. And she was giving us a list of what to think about and the questions to ask yourself before you reacted to somebody. It was genius. You know, I'm a big man. I have size 14 feet. And I put them in all sorts of problems. It's so easy, isn't it, to put your foot in it. I do it all the time. And I suppose from the rumblings that I just heard there, most of you do as well. Sometimes we can be so focused, can't we, on what we have in our minds, we say things and we do things without considering how it may be received by others. You think you're doing the right thing for that person and actually the way they're receiving it is completely the opposite. I've learned that lesson so many times over the, the last few weeks, the last few months, and the last few years. He calls us to be patient, prepared to wait, don't want everything immediately. Who's patient when their dinner isn't on the table? Who's patient when the latest version of a game becomes available? Or the book in the series that you're reading, you've got to order it, immediately it becomes available. No, you don't. It's not important. Be patient. What is patient is the end of that verse. Isn't it? Bearing with one another in love. Love is strong feelings of affection for one another. In other words, we must passionately love the church and the people in it, despite its imperfections. And what are those imperfections? Us. Let's choose to encourage each other not to criticise, focus on what we have in common, not on our differences. And then the final bit in verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He's telling us to keep the unity of the church by peace. Peace is a great freedom from anxiety. One of the things that causes people a tremendous amount of anxiety is when they listen to gossip. Don't do it. it. Tells us in Romans chapter 14 verse 19, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads us to peace and to mutual edification. Edification, that's the improvement of the mind or your character by teaching listening to what we're taught on a Sunday morning. Peace. I suppose some of the other good things that you could say would be to be faithful and kind and loyal. Uh, uh, but there are bad things that he could have put here that we shouldn't do. 
We, let's not be selfish. Let's not bully people. Let's not be rude. Don't hate people. Don't be unkind to them. Don't be naughty. And worst of all, don't be full of pride. Let's put all the good things on our body so we're a shining example of what Jesus would be like. And let's put all those bad things over there in the sin bin. The passage then goes on in verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of you, of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Isn't it amazing? No possibility if pride is in control. We have to work to maintain it. That reference there to the Trinity in this section, it's about the unity that comes from the oneness of God. And it's given to each and every one of us. Let's continue at verse 8. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. These verses set out the ministry of Christ. He gives us pastors, apostles, evangelists, etc. We are not all called or given the gifts or these talents to be those. But what he does is he gives us the desire, he gives these people so that they can equip us for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, which is the church. Every one of us is given the gift of ministry. In Wikipedia, it describes ministry as this. It's the activity by Christians to spread or express their faith. Every one of us is called to ministry. The passage ends. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in defeatful, deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, that makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. See, these verses shows, shows us the strength 
of what it looks like to be like Christ. So what should our response be to all of this? We need to become more involved in church activities, life groups, attending the monthly prayer meetings, learning from reading our Bibles. These things should be our priority. All the other things that go on in your life, they might be important in a worldly way, but these are the most important. These should be the first things that go in your diary. And they should be the first things that you go to when they're in there. Then, sign up for, like Sam was asking, for coffee rotors, for car parking, set-up teams, etc. All the other things that need this church meeting to take place. That would be brilliant if every one of us was doing something like that. Then, get out there. Speak about Jesus as he told Abram to do, right in the very beginning. Speak to your family, to your work colleagues, at school, at college. Just come along to Love Hailsham and share it with the people in the streets. Sign up to go to Bulgaria or Africa or Iceland. You know, anywhere. Just go and spread the word of Jesus. Our church should be ascending church. A church that makes disciples who make disciples. Let me close by just reading you this bit from Mike Reeves' book. It really spoke to me. But the Father also sends the Son. And doing as his Father does, Jesus thus sends his disciples. Like Father, like Son. That entirely changes what mission looks like. For it is not then that God lounges back in heaven, simply phoning in his order that we get on with evangelism so that he might get more servants. No, it means that when we go out and share the knowledge of God's great love, we reflect something very profound about who God is. For when Jesus sends us, he is allowing us to share the missional generous, outgoing shape of God's own life. The writer of Hebrews puts it like this. Jesus also suffered outside the city gate. That is, he went out beyond where the people of God are to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp. That's Hebrews chapter 13, verses 12 and 13. In other words... Jesus is found where? Out there. Jesus is found out there in the place of rejection. That is where the Father has sent him, that he might bring sinners back as children. That beautiful picture. Bring sinners back as children. You see, the Christian life is one of being where Jesus is where Jesus would be, of joining in how he was sent by his Father. So, let's go out there. Make disciples who make disciples.
disciples. Shall we pray? God, we just want to give you thanks this morning for showing us how you want us uh, to be, how you want us to behave, all those things. And Lord, it's just so inspiring to know that it's been part of your plan right from the very beginning. And then you sent your son to do as you bid him. And at the end, before he ascended to be at your right hand, he gave us that great commission. Lord, thank you. And thank you for the apostles, for what they did, and how Paul wrote it down in Ephesians, how it should look, Lord. Thank you, Father, for that great message. And as we go out from here, we ask that you help us to become more involved in church activities, to give us boldness and the words to speak about you with our friends and family and our work colleagues at schools and college friends. To go out to love Hailsham and to speak to the people of our town. To go to countries around the world. Lord, just help us to get out there. To be a sending church. A church that makes disciples. Who make disciples for you. And all God's people said... Amen. You have been listening to a sermon from Christchurch Hailsham. For more information or to contact us, visit ChristchurchHailsham.org.